This is the Heal from Trauma-Bonded Relationships with me, Dr. Sarah, empowering you to heal from painful relationships to rediscover your self-worth and confidence because you are ready to be the best version of yourself. Hello, my friends. Today, I'm going to be talking about this question of can you experience a trauma bond without the abuse? And I've been asked this in multiple different ways by different people across time, different clients that I've had. But ultimately, the question is, I don't feel like I can call my partner's behaviors abusive, but I am still experiencing all the signs that is involved within a trauma bond. And so the question is, can I actually be trauma bonded without experiencing the abuse? Here's the thing. It depends on how it is that you define abuse. I think historically we have all been brought up with this idea that abuse needs to be really obvious and it really needs to be clear. It needs to be objectively measured. And so we might typically grow up with this idea that abuse is something like physical violence, physical aggression, verbal aggression, something that you can obviously see. And therefore it is justification that it is abuse. And so you can then class what's going on for you as being abusive and therefore more of a justification for you to be trauma bonded. But the truth is that abuse isn't always obvious and actually the more risky abuse the more dangerous abuse is the one that is implicit is the one that is covert is the one that is less obvious so what i mean by that is the manipulation is the gaslighting these are still forms of abuse but actually they're arguably more dangerous and more harmful because you don't see it it's not clear-cut and so there's almost like this argument, this rationale, maybe it's not happening. Maybe I'm just making this up. Maybe it's all in my mind. It's in my head. I'm imagining things. I'm going crazy and it's actually all me and it's not them. And so you end up going down this rabbit hole of self-blame. And it's so hard to see the objective reality of the situation. I'll tell you an example of a client that I worked with a while ago. And she was in this relationship, I think it was around about two or three years with this person. And she was really miserable for such a long time in this relationship. And she was so hurt and so injured. But at the same time, she felt really guilty saying anything. She even felt guilty coming to see me and complaining about what was going on and telling me that she was really hurt. She felt really awful and ashamed. And she was saying, the thing is, is that he's not hit me. And I remember one distinct session that I had with her. She said to me, I wish he had hit me. And the reason why she said that was because if he had hit her, that would have been a clear cut sign that what was going on was not okay. And so it's almost like that was the boundary in her mind that she'd created that if he hit me, then I have full permission to leave. Then I know it's abusive. Then I have justification. I have evidence and nobody can argue it. Nobody can dispute it. Everybody else would be would agree with me, and therefore I am okay to leave. And it, it was really interesting, and we were exploring this idea of why did it need to get that far? Why did you feel like it had to get to that point of physical violence for you to have permission to leave? 
or for you to have permission to recognize in yourself actually what was going on was hurtful? Why did you need to get to the point where it had to be so objectively clear cut that you can then start labeling that behavior that you were getting prior to that as abusive? And so it's interesting because there's so many different things going on. So partly, if I was to broadly categorize it, is that there's something to do with us and what's going on internally inside of us. And then there's something going on externally to do with that person and to do with the relationship dynamic. And so if we were to look at the first bucket, what's going on inside of us, it relates to our personality type, it relates to our attachment type, and it relates to how it is that we view ourselves and how it is that we view the world. For example, if we are really empathic, if we're really conscientious, if those are really high in terms of our personality traits, what we're more likely to do is take on responsibility and take on ownership, particularly when things are difficult. And this is a bit of a fine line because I would say taking on personal responsibility is important for anyone and actually can allow us to grow and evolve and develop. But then we flip into the risk of taking on responsibility for stuff that isn't actually ours. We end up carrying the baggage of other people, but then we also internalize and then we end up self-blaming. So for example, if we are in a relationship with somebody, and let's say I'm somebody who is really conscientious, I'm somebody who is high in terms of the empathy scale, And let's say I'm in a relationship, come back home after work, having dinner, and my partner is very short with me. He yells, he says something, he's very abrupt. It it feels very unpleasant. Rather than me calling it out for what it is and saying, you're being blunt there, or what's going on there, or could you not speak to me like that? Rather than calling it out and feeling okay enough to call it out, because actually that behavior is disrespectful and I didn't do anything to ruin that person's day. What I might do if I'm high on the empathy scale or or if I'm anxiously attached is that I will take on the responsibility of their emotions. And so what I'll end up doing is that instead of me recognizing their behavior is really aggressive or really harmful or hurtful towards me and and it's nothing to do with what I've done, I end up taking on that responsibility and I think, okay, I need to fix this. I need to support them. I need to be more patient. I need to give more time. I need to X, Y, that. I just need to make this better somehow. And that is going beyond the line of being supportive because being supportive would be hey, do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to hear you? Do you want me to support you? Or do you want me to give you a solution? That would be supportive. But actually for me to carry on, to carry their emotional baggage, that would be me taking on over the responsibility that actually isn't mine. But also I then end up risking self-blaming. Why am I even talking about this? The thing is that the more that I do that, the more that I self-blame, particularly because I'm really struggling to define that boundary and to define that line in terms of what's actually mine and what's theirs, what is inappropriate behavior, what is appropriate behavior, me taking on blame and me self-blaming means that I am at a higher risk of permitting gaslighting. I'm at a higher risk of self-gaslighting. I'm at a higher risk of being manipulated 
experiencing manipulation, but also experiencing really subtle and covert signs of abuse, emotional abuse and mental abuse. So it might not be clear-cut, obvious physical abuse where there is hitting and violence and those kinds of things. And heaven forbid, I'd never wish that upon anyone. But the thing is that if I am really high in terms of the empathy scale, the anxious attachment scale, and also in terms of conscientiousness, I'm more likely to fall into the trap of self-blaming and I'm more likely to accept blame when it's not really mine. I'm more likely to interpret blame when it's not really mine. And also I'm more likely to accept things like criticism, excessive criticism, not helpful constructive feedback, but actually I'm more likely to accept criticism, to invite criticism and also self-criticize. More likely to accept negative judgment and to even invite it upon myself. More likely to deny myself the idea that there's something better out there. And I'll, I'll get to this point a little later on. But going back to the original point in terms of can you trauma bond without the abuse? I would argue it depends on what it is that you consider as abusive. So historically, you're thinking that abusive behavior has to be something clear-cut, has to be obvious, has to be physical. Whereas we know the reality is that's not just abuse. Abuse comes in so many different forms. So gaslighting and manipulation, criticism, even the subtle attacks, suggestions that they're going to leave, that they're threatening to threatening you to leave, that you're not good enough, that actually they could find somebody else better out there. All of these things are abuse. They are signs of abuse because they are signs of emotional abuse. They're manipulative and they are very threatening. And what we know based on scientific research is that the way that the brain works is exactly the same in terms of the response system from when we are experiencing physical abuse versus experiencing emotional abuse that actually the limbic system, the amygdala, hypothalamic pituitary axis, so the stuff that relates to the fight or flight response, it operates exactly in the same way regardless of the form of abuse that we experience. So it is never the case that physical abuse is worse than emotional abuse. Abuse is abuse. It's awful on any end of the spectrum. It is horrendous. And actually, we physically respond to it in the same way, regardless of how it is presented to us. And, and we also experience, interestingly enough, actually, we also experience emotional pain to the same level as we experience physical pain as well. Our brain and our nervous system respond exactly in the same way. What that means is that we are under attack, we are under threat, regardless of the circumstances that we're experiencing. So whenever I get this question asked to me, can I really call it trauma bonding because the other person hasn't hit me? Yes, it is possible for it to be a trauma bond, even if physical aggression, physical violence isn't present. Because actually when you start peeling the layers, chances are there's there's emotional and mental issues going on underneath the surface that actually you've experienced 
criticism, you've experienced attacks, you've experienced jabs, you've experienced manipulation, your perception of reality has been doubted, or you've been shut down. So you have got so many different things to face and your ability over time to be your authentic self reduces. And what I mean by that is that the more that you experience this emotional mental attack from your partner, what often happens is that you end up working really hard to be whoever it is that you think they want you to be. So you work really hard to be good enough to be the perfect partner, to be to to make them happy in some way. And so when you're working really hard to be the perfect partner, what you might end up doing is you might end up excessively doing something. So if they say that you're attractive and you might really work out you might be putting on more makeup getting new clothes you might be doing whatever it is to maintain that level of attraction or to really hook them on into that or you might be shutting your mouth and really suppressing expression of any sort so saying how it is that you feel what it is that you think expressing your values acting in line with what is important to you and so what happens over time when you have experienced this level of suppression or this level of manipulation and and criticism that you have to be better, you have to meet this other expectation that they're imposing on you, is that you lose a sense of who you are. And so with that, you are unable to be your authentic self. And that is a real struggle because the more that you are unable to be your authentic self, the, the, there are lots of neurological issues that go on there and, and your nervous system is under attack and it's very sensitive. But ultimately what happens from a psychological perspective is that you really start losing yourself. You actually become hollow. You become a shell of who you are. And you're working so, so hard to become this idealized version, whatever that is. You probably don't even know what that is, but you're working really hard frantically running around this hamster wheel to aim for this target but as you're running towards this target you're leaving yourself behind you're leaving your true authentic self behind and so when you've got this real discrepancy between who it is that I'm trying to be versus who it is that I was who's my authentic self what you learn in that moment is that your authentic self needs to be rejected your authentic self is not good enough And so with that, you then self-hate, you self-loathe, you self-detach. And that is arguably one of the hardest things or one of the most painful things rather that we can engage in as a human being because we are our own home. We are our forever home. And if our home, i.e. our mind, our psyche, if that isn't safe, If we're constantly in this perpetual cycle of self-judgment, but then also we've lost who it is that we are and we're unable to connect to any form of compassion, to any form of acceptance, to any form of self-love. If if that's so far behind, we can end up in really dark places and we're constantly striving towards this thing and it's unattainable because it's not actually there. It's not real. But we end up inadvertently colluding with the abusive partner 
to believe that it is there and that we should improve ourselves, we should get better. And if you're thinking about this idea of loss of self, well, this really maps on to one of the stages that occurs in a trauma bond. The longer that a trauma bond occurs, whether it be covert, whether whether it be overt abuse that you're experiencing, over time, we end up learning to treat ourselves exactly in the same way that our abuser ends up treating us. And so it might not look exactly the same. So we might not physically hit ourselves if that's what we're experiencing. And I really hope that nobody out here listening to me is experiencing this. But the thing is is that we end up treating ourselves in the same harshness, in the same modality, in the same level of punishment, in the same level of control, in the same level of manipulation, the same level of uh, coercion that we have been experiencing. And we even neglect ourselves in the same way that we've been treated. And so the more that we experience that and that occurs over time, we end up naturally losing ourselves because how painful would it be anyway to connect to ourselves? And so you end up in this trap where you can't connect to yourself. On one hand, you can't connect to yourself because you've been taught that yourself is not enough, it's not good enough, and it needs to be left behind. And so you have to pursue something else. That's one level. But then the second level is if you did connect to yourself, you would also be connecting to the fact that you have been abused. Even if it's not obvious or objectively measured or if physically seen, to connect to yourself would also mean that you would risk connecting to the abuse and, and, and really feeling it. And when I'm talking about connection here, we connect to life experiences on different levels and this really reflects different levels of consciousness so we might we might recognize hey our partner's been really hurtful they've said x y and z but we don't really connect to the hurt we just know that it's not nice so for example if if my partner shouts at me or if my partner's short uh, short with me i would recognize okay my partner's short with me that's that's very surface level. The next level down might be, they're short with me, it's not very nice. But again, that's still pretty surface level. But then the deeper that you go, the deeper that you then start realizing, actually, them being really short with me means that I'm being suppressed. I end up feeling guilty. And I'm not sure whether that guilt is really mine to own. Now, this is really deep that I'm talking about in terms of is guilt really mine to own? But the if you're looking up and down the scale what happens is that you go down these different processes and you start to really embody different emotions so the more that you connect to what's actually going on around you the more that you start to connect to these painful emotions and if you are in a really unsafe environment or if you don't really have somebody who can support you through this then you're lost then it's really painful and then you don't want to remain stuck in that painful place. So therefore, sure, it's really important that you can be with somebody who can encourage you and who can help you to develop and grow from that place. But ultimately, the more that you start connecting to these painful experiences, the more pain that you start to experience. And the key in terms of shifting that is really recognizing, is this my stuff to own? So I'd mentioned before, 
let's say your partner is really short with you and you recognize surface level, it's not nice. And then the deeper that you go, you start recognizing, hey, I feel really guilty and I don't know what to do. I want to make them feel better. I want to make them happy. I want everything to be okay with us so I can frantically start running around. But then if you really question it, then you might really question, okay, so that guilt, guilt we feel when we've done something wrong. Did you do something wrong? Chances are no. What's actually happened is, is that you've assumed guilt because you are high on the empathy, you're high on the anxiety, you're high on the panic, you're high on the conscientiousness, and so you and you're high on the responsibility. So you just assume guilt. You assume the responsibility to have to do something to make things better. And so you end up assuming guilt falsely. And so if you're really exploring that, if you're really questioning that, okay. Do you need to be holding on to the guilt? What does holding on to the guilt mean for the future relationship of, of your of you guys as a couple? What would that actually mean? How would that then in, be interpreted over long term? Would you then have to constantly feel the need to rescue your partner to make sure that they're okay, even though that they're not taking on responsibility over themselves? Actually, would this be potentially a self-sabotaging behavior or a behavior that would sabotage a relationship? And when you really start to look at the intricacies of this, you can really start to question and find paths forward. But the trap of feeling guilty and assuming guilt, the feeling of guilt falsely, is that you then don't know where to position yourself. You also don't know what to do with yourself either because you've started to connect with yourself. You've started to connect with the fact that you've been treated badly. You've also started to connect to the fact that actually the thing that I didn't think was abusive is actually abusive. I endured that abuse. I allowed that abuse to continue, not meaning, not intentionally, but because I didn't know better, I allowed that abuse to continue. And so I then start to grieve over myself. I start to grieve over my lost life for that period of time. I start to grieve over my humanity over that period of time. And so we end up in this really painful cycle and this really painful uh, loop. And so there are lots of reasons as to why we may talk ourselves out of really seeing the abuse as abuse, as what it is. We often then start to rationalize the abuse and we rationalize it. Unfortunately, it's, it's like a safety behavior and, and it might help us survive in the short term, but actually it, it's going to come back and haunt you on some level. And we justify that abuse and 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 we kind of neglect it. we we minimize it we dismiss it we call it not being abusive because it's not so obvious or we reduce the the significance of it we say oh you know what it's only a one off they've had a hard day it's not that bad x y and z and we talk our way around it and then it becomes really confusing as to, okay, so my partner hasn't hit me. Back to my original point, my partner hasn't hit me. But I still feel like there's something really wrong here. I still experience the significant highs and the crashing lows in the relationship. I still feel like 
and being criticized at every corner. I still feel like I'm having to walk on eggshells just to make sure that things are okay and that I don't rock the boat. I'm still having to question my own reality and and kind of prioritize that other person's reality or what it is that they say because they know better, supposedly. Or am I am I um relinquish all control because I feel like my partner knows better or my partner is always going to win this argument, this judgment. And so I might then also have to just be okay with the fact that I have become hollow or that I've become a shell of who I was. And and all of these things are signs of trauma bonds. The fact that you end up in that state and yet you still can't leave. You're still finding justification as why it is that you should stay. And you're still addicted to the high. You're still addicted to the potential of love, to the scraps of love that you might get. Really invite you to consider this. How bad does it need to get for me to take action? Does it really have to get to that stage, whatever that stage is, but does it have to really get that bad for me to seek out help? Does it really have to get that bad for me to seek out help? Or can I start supporting myself now? Because the longer that you wait, the longer you're spending time in the self-doubt, in the self-questioning, in the abuse, in the challenging, in the more painful place. Whereas actually, the, the more that we can reduce and minimize that time that you're in the pain, the more time that we can spend when you are healing, when you are growing, when you are living a happier life, a happier existence that is in line with you, the more time that you can spend in terms of really rediscovering yourself, but also embodying and embracing that love and that compassion. And so I really want to invite anybody who's listening to this to have a look at a free online video that I have created, which is a training video telling you about the first steps to take in order to heal from trauma bonding. And so I will leave the link on the show notes for this, but if you want, it is healtraumabonding.com and you should find a link on the front page that will tell you a bit more about the video training. And I look forward to hearing feedback from you guys with regards to this episode. Until next time, take care. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do me two favors. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and rate this podcast so that other people can find support and life-changing information. Until next time, take care.